Welcome to This Human Life with The Philosophical Coach. I'm thrilled to have you tuning in. I'm your host, Sam Kukathis, aka The Philosophical Coach, philosopher, Hume expert, and high-performance coach. This podcast is designed for you to go from being the passenger in your life to the owner of your life. It is designed for you to go beyond who you know yourself to be, really. If that intrigues or excites you, then you are definitely in the right place. The ideas are drawn from neuroscience, philosophy, my coaching practice, working with elite leaders, and experience. You can expect candor, humor, vulnerability, and ideas which are unfamiliar to you, and some you may just plain disagree with. You'll also get the opportunity to hear from inspiring coaches and leaders. Now let's get ready to question what we know and go beyond our limitations. Welcome back to This Human Life. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce my guest, Michelle Molitor. Michelle is the founder and CEO of Nectar Consulting, Inc. and co-author of the best-selling book, Breakthrough Healing. She loves helping people eliminate imposter syndrome so that they can be the very best authentic self and show up as the leader they know they can be. Her unique rapid rewiring approach is a culmination of years of study in the realms of emotional intelligence, neuroscience, organizational psychology, and rapid transformational therapy. Michelle, it's a real pleasure to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about imposter syndrome. Well, thanks so much, Sam, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I love uh, the work that you're doing, and, and I love talking about imposter syndrome. It's something that um, I uh, suffered a great deal with in my in my former career. I was a, a creative director in web development at the height of the dot-com boom, and um, I had hired two guys to help me expand my team, and they made it abundantly clear that they didn't like working for a woman. And ultimately, I got bullied out of my job, and it was pretty devastating to me. And it it proved uh, myself right that I was an imposter, and who was I? And I didn't know that I belonged there, and on and on and on. And but it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because it ultimately led me to discovering coaching and and hiring my first coach and recognizing, oh, this is the work that I was meant to do in the world. And so I went on to um, change careers and started my company 20 years ago this month and um, have been a a personal development learning junkie ever since and delving richly into the, um, the ideas of neuroscience and human development and energy and physics and what makes us tick and why do some people have confidence and other people don't and how do we get out of our own way ultimately right and so the the combination of all the years of my work has um culminated in this uh, in my 90-day rapid rewiring breakthrough experience that i take people through to really help them get at the root cause of these limiting beliefs that are causing the imposter syndrome and causing that sense of not belonging, not being enough, not being deserving of the success that they have so um, worked so hard to, to earn. So it's, it's really a joy for me to do this work and I'm excited to get to share it with you and your listeners today. Yeah, that is really powerful. And I think it's going to speak to a lot of people, if not everyone, because it's, it's very relatable, both your own experience and I'm sure when people hear that, they could hear something for themselves, but also then like what's possible as well at the other side of it and how you took the, the pain that you were experiencing and transformed it into something where you can really help others move beyond what they know is possible for them. 
Yes. Yes. That's the whole idea. How do you take your pain and turn it into your power? Absolutely. So Michelle, it seems to me that imposter syndrome can show up for a lot of people as a trigger. So what do you see is going on here and how does this relate to our processing of emotions or our willingness to process emotions? Anytime we get triggered at work, we get called forth to take that big step, right? To be a bigger version of ourselves, to take a risk. Um, all those little, you know, fear voices come out. Well, who am I? And why am I? Are you sure? Are you going to mess it up? What if? What if you screw it up? What if you fall on your face? What if you fail? What if you succeed? Right? So many what ifs um, and shoulda, coulda, wouldas, right? That get caught up in there and start you spinning that. It, it starts to have you start to wall up, right? We put up even more facades and more barriers and blinders to keep us safe, right? Your amygdala is all about keeping you safe. And so unless we can catch it, right? And recognize the discomfort, the dis-ease that is happening in our system, um, it can very quickly lead to the disease that then unfolds. Oh, I'm having back pain. I'm having migraines. I'm having, I, I got sick. I got the flu. I got COVID. I got whatever, whatever, right? Because we're not processing those emotions and we're not dealing with the fears in the moment. We just keep stuffing them. You know, one of my favorite quotes is um, Dr. Henry Maudsley from like the 18th century, he was a psychiatrist. And he said, emotions that cannot find their vent in tears will cause other organs to weep. And I, I've had my own experience of this. Many years ago, I had severe back pain, severe, severe for like nine months. And I had multiple rounds of cortisol shots to my spine and I was on pain meds and nothing was helping. And a, a very dear friend passed away unexpectedly. Um, and we had a beautiful ceremony of life for her. And I just, I just cried for hours and hours and hours. And something about that release released the pain from my back. Yeah. Um, within a few short weeks, it was gone. And it was a big, a big aha moment for me of rec recognizing how much pain and trauma that I had compartmentalized in my back. Right. Um, and so all of these things can have your imposter syndrome get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until the anxiety, the overwhelm um, can take over and leave you spiraling, can lead to burnout. Um, so many different ways that it can go awry. <laughs> right. And it's just so much easier if you can have the self-awareness to go, oh, look at that. What is it that I'm really afraid of? And, and that's where, you know, we come in, right. To help people have that awareness and see the thing that's stuck on the end of the nose that we can see so clearly, but they can't. Yeah, absolutely. The awareness of your, you know, people talk about self-awareness all the time, but it, it doesn't make a lot of difference because you're so stuck often in the knowing of what you believe and you're so fixated on being right about it that 
people could give you advice. People could tell you it's not true. People could tell you it's just the way it occurs, whatever, unless you're willing to look for yourself and to see something and question it, you get to keep it. I, you know, I, when it came to anxiety for me uh, and depression, I remember it was what really made the difference initially before I did any work in personal development was just conversations with my brother where he got me to question where was the depression located? And I was like, what do you mean? Mm. Like, I'm like, I have depression. Like, I'm, you know, I, you know, what are you talking I about? I am like, depression. Yeah, <laughs> right? you know, my whole is, body is depression. My, my experience is, is similar to those who in academia in PhDs who are also dealing with similar things. So I look like them. I, I seem to be showing up in a similar way to them, glum and resigned about life at the moment. Uh, why would I question it? And But in the questioning of it, it allowed me to see something newly and it took me out of the experience of depression in the conversation. And then we shifted from the focus on the depression aspect to what do I want to create in the next three months? And I got back into a creative mindset in that, in that particular conversation, which just made me go, hang on a second, there must be something more here because just by being in the mode of questioning something which I'm taking as part of me right now, something else opened up. I went from a space which I hadn't been in, which I'd been in for months or maybe years, I can't remember the particular time, to possibility. And I don't think a lot of people get that opportunity. I don't think they see that there is a way by questioning to see their experience around anxiety, see their experience around depression from a completely different place because they're fixated on being right about what they're experiencing. Like it becomes almost a badge of honor at times. Yes. I, oh, yes. I had, I had a lot of those little badges for quite some time. Look, I have a, I got fire badge and I'm depressed badge. And I have imposter syndrome badge. I have all these little badges and it's amazing how we like to wear those. Oh, I work 80 hours a week badge, um, you know, so on and so forth. And it, it becomes our identity. And when that, for me, when that got stripped away, it was like, oh, who, who am I now? Yeah. And I had, I had no idea what that would even look like or how I could be differently because I had been working and striving so hard to get that illustrious corner office. And, and then it was taken from me or it shifted right the universe was like no not this look over there <laughs> in hindsight um and so it was a total blessing but um it it really does muck with your thinking like if i'm not that then then what right for you well if i'm yeah. not a phd then what yeah Totally. And then you're like, oh, deer in the headlights. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now what was do I do? It was literally like, Sam is not at home. Like, I don't know where Sam is located right now, but Sam is not at home. Like his whole reason for being and living is, is no longer present. And everything which I thought was the determinant of whether I'd be happy, which back then was, I must be an academic or I won't be happy. Like there was no other pathway that I could even consider at that time, which is just boggling to think about it now because there are so many things which give me joy. But at that time, it was like, I was just clear, unless I'm an academic, I will not be happy. 
So everything which was showing me a pathway, which wasn't that was just keeping me in a loop of feeling like an imposter. Like I, I remember because, and I think for me, I remember it probably started very early uh, in, in school. I went to a private school in Australia where um, my year was pretty smart and I did pretty well, but the way the uh, testing worked is it got standardized. So even if you did well, your marks could go down um, because everyone else was doing well as well. <laughs> so I kept experiencing just being average. And uh, whenever I excelled, it felt like I was getting pushed back down. So when I did start to do really well in university and things, I was always waiting to be put, put, brought back down a peg. And when I got into uh, Oxford uh, from a law doctorate, I was felt like an imposter at, to the biggest dimension because I was a philosopher at a law faculty and I never studied law. <laughs> you know, it took me at least a year and a half of, and it wasn't until I got involved in uh, the philosophy of law it was called the Oxford Jurisprudence Discussion Group, that I started to feel like part of the community. Before that, I was like, what am I doing here? Like, how did I get in? Like, is this a mistake? And it, it was yes. really a challenge to Don't to tell that. anybody I'm here, but yeah. I have no idea why. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And then as the, the experience of, of writing the PhD and not getting it over a period of years, it was more and more evidence for, yeah, you are an imposter. Yeah, you weren't meant to be here in the first place. Mm. Our rightness shows up. Oh, see, I show. I told you. I told you you weren't supposed to be here. Yeah, yeah it, it's really fascinating the machinations our brain will put us through, um, and it's there's just an easier way to to think and to see the world, but we don't know what we don't know, right? I. I always compare it to, you know, living in the fishbowl. It's just the water you're swimming in. Yeah. Because that's the environment that you grew up in and is what is known to your brain. It's that well-worn groove in your brain of, oh, well, of course I'm a pastor. Of course I'm not good enough. Of course um, I, I'm right about being an imposter. Until somehow, some way, magically, the universe gives you a different fishbowl to to step into and you're like, oh, well, this is different. <laughs> I had never considered this reality before. <laughs> wow, huh, okay, let me try this on for a minute. And, and so it's really about removing the veils and the, and the blinders that we create for ourselves because nine times out of 10, the thing that you want most is just on the other side of the blinder. You can take the blind, oh, it was there all along, right? Yeah. No, there, there, there are a lot of hidden veils in terms of our experience of life. And um, I think one of them is that we pretend to be authentic uh, oh, because we're, yes. we're, so, we're so afraid of, of being called out and um, people really seeing what's behind the veil. Yes. But we don't Do actually not get... look at the man behind the curtain. But most of the time we think that we're being authentic and that's what makes us the most inauthentic of all. Yeah, it's it's the being authentic from the place of looking good. Yeah, right? I I did I played that game for a long time. Right, um, growing up in a in a household of everything had to look good. Right, I was always matching. Everything had to be just so. Um, and if you weren't, well, 
everything was fine. Are you fine? I'm fine, but it's not fine. But um, you didn't want anybody else to see that, right? And then you, that's the experience that you're trained in, your brain is trained in at a young age. And then you just start moving through the world that way, right? Because you don't know any other way until somehow, some way, somebody shows you something different and you're finally able to see it, right? Because as we talked about earlier, just because someone presents you a different way of being, you're like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to poo-poo. That's nice for you, but no, that's not my, not my cup of tea. Um, until you're like, oh, that's pretty good flavor. Maybe I should have some more of that. hundred <laughs> percent. And I, it, sometimes it's like, you just have to be ready to actually, uh, to step out of the paint, <laughs> to be like, you know what, They're, I'm ready to see something new. I, you know, it, and it takes courage. Like it really mm-hmm. does take courage because you have a point of view about who you are up to this point, whether it's me, whether yes. it's you, we all have a point of view. Uh, it might be a point of view that I'm unlimited, but even that has a limitation based on whatever unlimited looks like to you. Right. So there's, there is some fixation on what it's going to look like for me, for you, for anyone who's going to be listening, but you know, and, and that's part of the paradox of it all. I feel is like we, the more you do work in personal development, the more you coach, the more you think you should have, I shouldn't have this anymore. This, this shouldn't come <laughs> up anymore, right? Like I, I should have, you know, battled past this as a human being. I, you know, create the superior skill set to, to basically now be perfect. Wait a second. Do I even want that? Would that even yeah, work and what's for perfect. Yeah. Right. You know, and you, what's perfect. And I think that's where it comes back to imposter syndrome though, because so often we've created other people's lives as if they're perfect, as if they're not dealing with anything. Oh, look at their life is a bunch of roses. You know? Thank you, social media. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The curated life is so distasteful and creates so much disharmony in people's experience of themselves, both like having to present that way, but also for others who are listening as if that's just who they are. Yes. It's, you know, all so many people living under these false pretenses, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, happening right now with Facebook being called out, Instagram being called out about, they know that this is harmful for, for kids and yet they still keep doing it. Right. Because it's, it's just propagating that false narrative over and over and over and over and over again. Cause but luckily there are those brave souls who, who come out and say, yeah, no, my life isn't perfect. And this isn't all peaches and cream and it sucks sometimes and it's hard. And that's the upside of what social media has the power to do, um, you know, for people, but it's, it's hard. It, well, I shouldn't say it's hard. It can be perceived as hard to change channels, right? To change tracks, to to step into a new reality when you don't know what's on the other side of that comfort zone boundary, right? This is my comfort zone. It's warm and cozy in here. I know what it's like. I know what I can expect, even though it's terribly uncomfortable and squishy in here, right? But if I go beyond the edge of that comfort zone, what might happen? I don't know, right? It could be really, really bad, or it could be magnificent. It could be extraordinary. And most people aren't willing to step outside of their comfort zone to try something new for fear that 
they'll upset their apple cart, right? If I change, will my loved one come with me, right? I see that happening a lot. And people who are going through personal development, they they reach a certain point and then they're afraid to go any further because they're not sure that their, their partner, their loved one will be able to come with them. And that will create too much upset in their lives that they're like, and they shut back down. Yeah, it's like, no, but you can invite them to come with you. And the hard realization of everybody is on their own individual path and your, your friends, your family, your loved ones, they may or may not come with you on that journey. Well, I think on that particular point, there's maybe a different way to go about it. And it's, if you've already started to be on that journey, then you can not listen to the person that is your partner as if they haven't. You can listen to them as someone who was already on that journey. You can speak into who they are for what you see, what makes you want to be with them in the first place. If you, Because if you're creating someone who hasn't done personal development, the work, whatever you want to call it, coaching, therapy, and you think you're fixed and you want to fix them, then that's what they're going to experience. You're like saying, look, there's something wrong with you. You need to go and do this work so we can get fixed and then you can come and be with me. Wow. How fucking arrogant are you? Like, <laughs> and, and that's unfortunately, and I know because when I first started doing work in personal development, that was the experience that I gave off to others. It's like, oh, you must need this. And then people question like, can I be, can we still be friends if I don't do this? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. It's not conditional. Like I just, you know, I've loved what I've got out of this and I want to share this experience with you. But the way, like I wasn't trained in speaking about it at the time. So I didn't know how to communicate in a way which didn't leave someone feeling like there was something wrong with them. When yeah. fundamentally the, the starting point for any relationship, if someone hasn't gone through personal development and you're really drastically wanting them to, is not to create there being something wrong, but to stand for that person for who you see them to be and keep standing for them and keep listening to them as the great woman, man, you know, that you see them. Because if you do yes. that, there's an opportunity for them to step into that listening. Yes, totally. I totally agree with that. You know, I I think one of our biggest jobs as coaches is simply to be a mirror for the other person, to see the full greatness that they are, that they can be, and just keep inviting them to put their toe in the pool and to step in and to step in. Um, a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and just creating that safe space um, for them because everybody's got a different story and you have no idea what a person's story is. Even when you think you know someone, you don't necessarily know their story, right? Um, and that that makes all the difference in the world. Um, one of the things I always do with my client, Sam, is I have a whole values exercise that I take them through, right? To help them be reminded of what, what are those core values of things that are like water and air to them that they are unconsciously um, competently living, right? And they can start to see where those top 10 core values maybe are being lived fully or aren't being lived fully. And they can start to see where the misalignment might be happening. Um, I, I have a value of making a difference. And 
you know, my time in web development, making million dollar websites really didn't, didn't cut the mustard for me. I was like, oh, well, no wonder I was so stressed out and felt so in ill at ease in my skin. Um, and I've also come to a value that I like to call ocean, which is being a vast, wide, deep container of love that my clients can step into, they can thrash about in, they can float with their floaty noodles, you know, and find what they need to find, but they have the safe space in which to do it without, without judgment, without worry, without fear, and helps them start to see the beauty that I see in them and they can start to own it, you know, but each person is on their own path as to how that shows up for them and, and their willingness to actually see the beauty that they are. Yeah. I remember working with a client who wasn't just dealing with imposter syndrome. He was dealing with, you know, an eating disorder, like, and that, was a process. I didn't have an, I wasn't, that wasn't my expertise, but all it was is a case of just listening to what he was doing and what was creating, like getting to the root cause, first of all, of what was the, like what, what happened that that was the pathway that he'd gone down and what was happening now that that was the pathway he was going down again. But then there's the actual like strategy of like, how are we actually going to get you past this? So your habits are going to change and you're not going to experience wanting to, to purge all the time. And it would sometimes you would come to me, it's like, oh, I I was making progress for you know three days and then I purged for the next two. And and then I, you know, I stopped. And so what you mean you had five days out of seven where you didn't purge? That's amazing. Remember before you were at this stage, right? And just constantly yeah. reminding them where they were at rather than leaving them like in the space of judgment. Because as human beings, we already are gonna judge ourselves most of the time, more than anyone else is going to. And so you don't need to give them more judgment. You need to create right. the space for them to be like, oh, wow, look at what I actually did accomplish here. Yeah, we're, we're judging making machines, aren't we? Yes, judgment <laughs> yeah. making, meaning making. <laughs> yes, I had, a, I had a client who had a, a pretty severe case of bulimia and um, we got her to a place of 17 days without purging. And she's like, oh, I'm like, that's amazing. That's historic. You know, in 11 years, that's tremendous, right? Give yourself a lot of credit for that. And um, sadly, she she had a whole alter, alter ego for her bulimia. And um, it was it was really, really powerful. So it was um, it was challenging. It was very challenging, but, you know, she made progress and that's progress is progress, no matter how you slice it. So it's all good. Well, it's but, all progress instead of perfection, isn't it? Like there is only yeah. progress or there's this illusion. <laughs> right. Right. There's progress or you're dead. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. And it's not a linear moving? thing. Progress is right. not linear. We, we, type, mm -hmm. we like to think progress is linear. Like if you've gone a steps backwards, then you're like, oh God, I'm not progressing anymore. I've lost all of it. I'm a fraud. Like that's a common one I think I've seen is like, you know, you've done all this work. You've been this really powerful leader. And then something happens, like your heart breaks or you just, you see something which triggers an old belief in you, which you, makes you feel angry about the world. And then you just let it all go. You let it go to pot. And it's because 
in that moment, you are a fraud. You've like, oh, I did all this stuff, but it hasn't made the difference because I haven't got rid of this experience. I haven't got rid of this trigger. And it's, it's never as far away as they, they, they think. It's just that they're so willing to hold on to the story of who they are and stand back into some sort of victim mentality that you know, it feels like they are completely inauthentic. Everything they've done is worthless and they're the biggest imposter of all. Yeah. Yeah. And it can, it can get triggered just like that. Right. Someone yeah. says something to you um, and you're, you're dealing with the thing that you dealt with your mother when you were seven, right. You're like, what? I had a, um, a client I was talking to recently who was having a really stressful day at work and she was really angry with a coworker and I was like, well, you know, what were you really mad about? And she, Whoa. And I'm like, oh, look, there in the seat of it is your mother's face. And she was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> she had a very, she had a very narcissistic mother. And um, she was just like, oh. And so it was just pulling back the layers of noticing how the everyday things that trigger you oftentimes all go back to those root causes, right? That create the imposter syndrome, that create the anger, that create the, the frustration, the feeling not good enough in some way, shape or form. And, and so the, the key is really getting at the root cause of the, of the issue, of the belief, because when you can find it and neutralize the belief and then rewrite it, right? Building new neural pathways, paving over the old well-worn groove, right? And disappearing it um, is really, really powerful. I had one client I worked with, uh, this was a couple of years ago. She came to me, she's like, you know, I really want to grow my business. And every time I get to this financial level, I self-sabotage and then my numbers drop. And then, oh, and then I have this terrible case of IBS. I was like, oh, how, why don't we get rid of that? She's like, okay. And so we went through my rapid rewiring process together and we got to the end of it. And she was like, so I listened to my recording every day. And today I had my biggest client meeting ever. And my whole body was on board. The IBS was gone. I was like, yes. Right. It was a tremendous, tremendous win. And I reached back to her like a month later to get a testimonial. And she was like, what did we work on? Like it had completely disappeared from her brain. Like, what was that thing that I was so worried about? And I was like, wow. okay, we did a great job of re rewiring and overpaving, right? <laughs> so it was really <laughs> exciting. I was like, yes. Yeah, that, so. that, it's like the experience of coaching with Michelle was so powerful. I can't even remember what I was worried about before. <laughs> How's that for a testimonial? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's why I actually started having them. Um, I have an online journal space for my clients, yeah. but they have daily question prompts. So how am I feeling? What am I haws today? What am I noticing? And then I go in and I drop in other questions as we go through the process. But I found it was really helpful because oftentimes the shifts that we create for people are so powerful that they completely forget what it was that they were so emotional about they were in such pain about and they can go back and see their own journey and their own progression like wow look where I started and look where I am today actually just yesterday in completing with a client I was like oh wait 
let me get a before and after picture. So I, I snap because I do all my work over Zoom. I work yeah. globally with people. And I went back to our first recorded session and I have these amazing before and after pictures of her. And I'm like, she's going to love this. <laughs> it's so it's so much fun. Yeah. Look, the way people show up in their body language, their energy, it all gets to transform when you let go of all of the baggage, which is there in the, you know, in the time that you're coach with coaching with someone and it becomes really joyous. I think a lot of people have beliefs that coaching has to be really hard work or it's going to be super confronting all the time, but you know, at least with the stuff that I'm doing, it's a conversation. Now I know you, mm-hmm. with RTT, it's going to be a little bit different, but it, it's, it's still a different, it's still a conversation. Of it's still a it's conversation that, though. It's, it's a conversation where they're under hypnosis and it's dealing with their subconscious mind and their, you know, in the space of questioning what's going on from what I understand, you'd have to correct me um, so that they can see something newly. Yes. It, it is about helping them see things from a different perspective. I just take them to an, to a, an unconscious state, a subconscious place where they can tap into that 90% of their brain power or where all of those memories are stored nice and neatly and tucked away um, which our conscious brain doesn't have access to. Um, and so when they can tap into those old events and memories that happened to them anywhere along their life path, oftentimes as a kid, but not always, um, it is really, really powerful. I've had you know clients who remember things that are like, I, I hadn't thought about that in 30 years, right? They completely forgotten about certain events. Um, and could see how that moment in time created that negative belief that they've carried around their whole lives. Yeah. I think sometimes the challenge though is even though when people can see the root cause, they don't want to let go of it. And yeah. Well, it's their story. Because it, 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 it fuels them. Like they, they don't have to move past this way of like a default way of being and acting in the world if they hold on to this point of view about who they are. Yes. Yes. Who am I if I'm not wearing this badge? Yeah. This badge of I'm a victim. I'm a martyr. I'm this, I'm that. Um, I'm unhappy. I'm anxious. I'm an imposter. Right. They don't know that they have a, you know, um, huge universe of choices that can look completely differently, but they again, those blinders come into place and they just can't see what they can't see about what's possible. And I think that's the very best part of the work that we get to do is helping people see there are a thousand different other possibilities, a million other possibilities of what you can be and what you can step into if you're willing to let go of this old story that's been holding you prisoner for so long. And, you know, I'm a 20 plus year personal development veteran. (laughs) I'm a junkie. Can I have another workshop, please? Um, And I've done so much work and removed so many layers, but I totally agree with you. It's that holding on to that self-perception that is the hardest thing to let go of, right? And, And really letting it go and then letting it go and then letting it go and then letting it go to allow yourself the space to step into something new and go, oh, this was available to me all along. Why did I make myself suffer? (laughs) 
so much. Yeah. Right. But again, we, we can't see what we can't see. I, you know, my, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It's so true. Right. Just like, you know, your brother spent however many months trying to get you to see, here's here's two (laughs) years, here's, here's, here's a a different way of being that you could try on. No, thanks. No, thanks. I'm pretty attached to this nice little box I'm in at the moment. Um, And like, oh, maybe I, maybe if I peek outside the box, I might find something a little different, right. That actually works for me instead of against me. Yeah. Well, in my case, it was just like the pain of the circumstance was so drastic at that time that when he happened to call me, it was like, come and do the landmark forum. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I have no more resistance. <laughs> like, right. This is, I, I don't know what this else. This clearly is not working for me. Yeah, so what I've, what I've done, I've tried my way, like, which is the default way, my way and uh, hasn't worked. Let me try something new. Yeah. Well, that was very similar to my experience when my friend invited me to come to his forum graduation. I was like, I was so stressed out and so anxious and I had, I had no idea how to get my way out of it. And that was like, it felt in hindsight, it was a complete lifeline to help me see a different way of being. And it completely transformed my life. It totally did. And it opened new doors and windows and um, had me change careers and become a coach. So um, I'm eternally grateful for that work and, and being able to find um, my way. The irony is, you know, I was a psychology major in college and my senior year, I freaked out. I was like, I can't get a job with a degree in psychology. I'm going to have to change my major. So I decided that I was going to change my major to advertising because there's psychology in advertising. And I have this kind of creative thingy going, but I don't really quite know what it is. And I can, you know, I could get a job in advertising. I can make a lot of money in advertising. This is a college thinking. And so I, I was literally walking into the, the college of communications to change my major and thought, Oh, I should probably call my parents and tell them because, you know, they were, they were footing the bill for my college education. So I'm literally on the payphone outside of the college, out front, outside the front gate. I'm like, yep, I'm going to change my major and it's going to, you know, set me back a semester, but this is why. And my parents were like, you can get a job with a degree. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't. It's like, and my, my dad's ultimate wisdom that has stayed with me all these years. Well, here's what we think, but you do what you think is best. <laughs> it's like, okay. So off I went, changed my major. And so Coming back around to coaching, which hadn't even been birthed at that point in time, you know, it's like, ah, yes, this is everything that I loved about psychology, but in a, you know, in a different way and the use of positive psychology to move people forward versus getting caught spinning in old circles and whatnot. So it's funny how the universe takes us just where we need to be. Yeah, I think if we if we always are looking from that place rather than wondering why are we here, it, it's it's definitely provides more of an opportunity for optimism as opposed to being confronted and like, fuck, 
how did I get here? What's going on? How do I get out of this place? Like, how do I get out of this? Where place? are the door? Like, Where's the door? Yeah, like, what's wrong with me? That's that's what shows up, I think, generally when those kind of beliefs like, what's wrong with me? Like, and that becomes a fundamental, right? But right. What's wrong you know, with me? I can't figure this out. I must be broken. Everybody else has figured it out. Why can't I? Yeah, yeah. I was there for a long time. No, I think one of the most fascinating aspects I've found of this last four-year journey is just seeing almost this invariable aspects of what the human condition can look like and how it shows up. So whether it's the experience of something being wrong, um, whether the people are conscious or not, like that then shapes their way life looks and the way of avoiding situations where they experience like there's something wrong. I want to avoid situations where that's what shows up or anytime you feel like, oh, I don't belong somehow. Like, okay, I'm going to avoid situations where I'm going to potentially not belong because I don't want to put myself out there and then be proven right that I am, you know, reject and I don't belong. It's really uncomfortable in that place that I don't belong. So I'm just not going to go and I'm going to sit home and stay on the couch because that feels so much more cozy. No, and I think with imposter syndrome, the belonging is a critical part of it, right? Yes. Like the, you know, I think you were talking to me earlier about the women in tech, right? And like, why did I get this job? Like, even though they had all this experience and it's likely, might not be, but it's likely that underneath it all is still some belief about belonging. And it's just manifested in this particular circumstance. And so what they're seeing is, I'm right. I don't belong. I've got this job. I don't know how, I don't know how it's worked out, but sometime they're going to figure out that I'm a fraud. Sometime they're going to work out that I shouldn't be here and then I'll be proved right again. Yes. Yes. It is a a very popular MO. um, One I certainly suffered from for quite some time. And um, that sense of belonging is, is key and it's vital and it, it shows up in so many different ways. Um, if you have any experience of being the other, whether you're from a different country or you speak a different language or you have a different ethnicity or a different religion, there's so many different ways that we create this us and them mentality that creates that lack of belonging. And um, in the tech industry, right, in particular, there's, you know, I live here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we have, uh, we call them tech bros, right? There's a whole culture of the tech guys, right? And um, so the women in technology, it, it, it creates these barriers, right? The us versus them. It's, of course, it's probably less conscious than we might realize, but um, there's just all these different barriers that create that sense of, of otherness and, and lack of belonging, which fuels that imposter syndrome of who am I? Do I belong here? I don't fit in. Um I must have fooled somebody because they let me in the door and they gave me this this job and this nice paycheck, right? And so um, it it's really very very prevalent. And it's it's not just women that suffer from imposter syndrome. It's it you know men and women get it equally. Seventy um, percent of people have dealt with imposter syndrome at some place or another in their lives and in their careers and. Um, 
think 25 to 30% of high performers deal with it a lot. Um, there's a, there's a great book called the confidence code written by, um, Caddy Kay and Claire Shepardson, two world-class international journalists. And they've interviewed these amazing women leaders from around the world around confidence and imposter syndrome. And, you know, seeing these women who are, are literally at the top of their game, top of their fields. And they're like, yeah, I don't really know how I got here. And you're like, what? So it, it's just something that we all deal with. It's just part of the human condition. Yeah. And I think that that's such a great way of looking at it because if it's just part of the human condition, then there's actually nothing wrong when you're experiencing this. What, so what can you do about it? Well, here's, I think, one thing. You can stop relating to it as there's something wrong and just be with the experience. Like what's showing up for me in this moment? Like what am I feeling emotionally? What's my mental state when this comes for me? What are the thoughts which keep reoccurring for me in when this experience you know, manifests itself? Okay. And now I'm going to write all of that down or I'm going to you know, record it and I'm going to have a, you know, I can see what it looks like. And then I want to notice like, okay, do I feel any karma now that I've you know, actually looked at that experience? And you can, you know, you'll see for yourself whether it's yes or no. And then after that, it's, okay, did I actually bring any of that forth myself? Like, was I actively bringing the thoughts there? Did I control my mind and my brain to, to bring the thoughts out? Did I have the, you know, the sweating in my hand? Did I do that or did that just happen? And it's a question that you may already think you have an answer to, but it's a question to look from because the more you can question what you take to be your experience of who you are really, the more there's an opportunity to see something differently. And mm -hmm. for me, it's still confronting because there are still times as, I've as I was telling you, Michelle, that I relate to myself as my thoughts. I relate to myself as my feelings, my mental state, my bodily state. Even though I have an understanding and you know, getting more of an immersion that that isn't me. Yes. But because there's such a patterning from this time of relating it that way, there is still the inactivating patterns of the neurons in the brain, which are allowing that to come forth. So I have to be quick to catch it and be resilient. Like, oh, wait a second. Oh, I've just jumped into that again. Right. Yes. I stepped back into that old pool. Yeah. That old you know? habit of thought that keeps me caught in the spin. Now, one of the mentors that I had, we, we looked at, it's not the thoughts which create your reality. It's the significance that you give the thoughts. Yes. And everything is significant or insignificant. It just depends on what you assign to it. Yeah. yeah. Right. We, as we said, we are meaning making machines and um, it's, it's all made up. Yeah. Right. Is the sky blue or is it pink? Well, it depends on the day, it depends on the time, depends on where you are on the planet. Right. All of these things are true um, on any given moment. And um it's just finding the perspective that works for you and supports you and empowers you versus creating a negative physical, emotional, bodily response. So the more quickly you can catch it, catch yourself, become aware of it and ask yourself what's needed now, right? What's, what's going to move me forward in a good way versus 
keeping me spinning or stuck on the hamster wheel. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things I see when the word imposter, like the term imposter syndrome is that the, the language is so negative. Like it suggests there's something wrong just in the way it's constructed. Like we don't tend to think mm-hmm. of syndrome as something people want to have. Right. But if it was just what I have a happiness be, syndrome, <laughs> right? Like it was just like what it is to be human was to experience this kind of phenomenon. And there's just, there's agreement out there that we call it imposter syndrome rather than this is a moment where you don't feel like you belong where you are. Like that's really what's going on. Like you just don't feel like you belong right now. Oh, Okay, I can I can understand that. Like, I don't need to label it in a way. I, you know, this is me getting a little bit into the way I think about things. But it's like there's so many different labels that we have, uh, which are based in agreement in society, and you know whether it's like this is a disorder, you know, generalized anxiety disorder, and then some people like, oh shit, there's something wrong with me. I've got this disorder. There's a chaotic aspect to my life. I'm not normal. I no. Every single human being has experienced anxiety. That's part of what it is to be a human being. It's part of the programming that is coming. What you can separate is whether or not you relate to that as you, and then you kind of keep going on the hamster wheel or the thought-feeling loop continues and over and over again. I know exactly what that's like because that was my life for the first 31 years. Or you can question that and be like, wait a second. Okay, so I'm in this normal human experience and it's manifesting in this way for me. What would it be like if I was just present to the experience? Yes. Rather than trying to fix it. Yes. Just allowing it to be, noticing it as energy. Wow. I'm having this experience of energy in my body in this moment, and it feels this particular way. And I don't really necessarily like the feeling of that energy moving through my body. But instead of trying to fix it or label it, thank you, Big Pharma, right? Um, we can just let it pass, let it pass through like, oh, yep, there's a cloud in the sky and it's, it's moving and, and it'll be gone when I look back in a few minutes. Right. And so recognizing that our thoughts create our emotions, which create the physical sensations in our body, which lead to the manifestation of the physical pain in our bodies. And so if you can catch your thoughts and your emotions, and instead of trying to like, oh, I don't want to feel this clamping down on it, it only locks it into your cellular memory, but instead letting that emotional flood of hormones and endorphins just move through like the clouds in the sky and not let it get stuck in your body because when we, when we do clamp down and we don't want to feel these things, it creates that, I call it emotional residue. It gets all over our cells, right? The 50 trillion cells in our body. And then we wonder why we feel crunchy and gross and, and, you know, uncomfortable in our skin. And, and so when you can start to release that emotional residue, right. Um, And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can, you know, you go get some exercise, you can have a good cry. There's just different things that you can do to help yourself release that. And it, it can be very, very cathartic. It can be as simple as um, I often have my clients like write a letter to the person that, that hurt them, get, 
get out all of the things that they need to say and write it all out. It might be 10 pages long and then read it out loud like a way of vacating it from your, from your cells and then, and then burn it, right? Like literally evaporate it. And it's super, super cathartic for people because it's just something about speaking their truth. Finally, when maybe for decades, they haven't been able to speak their truth. Yeah. And I, I, I think sometimes where people can make a mistake if you like is they sometimes take the 10 pages and they read it to the person that has hurt them and then the person's like what are you talking about that's not my experience of it at all you know this is how i saw it and that can either go one or two ways it's either like oh i just made up this entire story and that was just my experience and this is their interpretation or it's like oh now i'm really stuck because I've right, you know, I've been like, gaslighted. I haven't, haven't been validated <laughs> for for what I've uh, what I experienced. So I think yeah. in that respect, the, the burning can sometimes be more effective because it's like what you need to do is let it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, when I say read it out loud, I don't say read it out loud to the person. Yeah, sometimes yeah. they're dead. Right. They've passed on. But it's just in a safe space. Read it out loud to the universe, if you will, to excavate it right? And, and then burning it to let it go, right? In a yeah. safe way. Yeah, no, I, I've definitely experienced the power of, uh, of writing a letter and uh, it freeing me uh, from, well, in my case, it was grief, like five years of like, believing I was never going to get over the death of a friend. Um, mm. And what I got to see was like, oh, I didn't forgive myself for not being in Australia for the final years of his life. I felt mm. like I was a really bad friend. And once I got to give that up, I only got to celebrate his life from uh from then on yeah yeah that's beautiful it's beautiful so michelle i before we wrap up i'd love for you to share a little bit more about like rtt because maybe some people are familiar with it but i don't know how many uh, of our listeners will be and I, you know marissa peer's name is known around the world but they don't necessarily know the depth of it. So would you mind talking a little bit about RTT? Yeah, sure. So um, I, as I said to you earlier, Sam, I've been a certified coach now for 20 years and I stumbled upon Marissa's work um, probably about five years ago now. And in doing work with her, it was so transformative. It, it literally changed my whole perspective on life and healed some deep wounds of mine. And so I, I went on to get trained and certified with her and it's a very immersive process. Um, it's essentially taking someone into an alpha brainwave state, right? It's that half awake, half asleep place. Um, my clients, they, they join me via zoom from wherever. Sometimes they're at home in their couch, their bed, sometimes they're in their car, you know, just depends. Um, But they're in a very comfortable state where they can relax, close their eyes. Their body gets really, really relaxed. Like you've just woken up from a nap. Right. But they're conscious. They're able to answer my questions. And, and we essentially ask your subconscious mind, which I have access to in this state. um, And, 
we ask their brains, what's at the root cause of this imposter syndrome, this anxiety, this belief of not being good enough in some way, shape or form. And the mind bubbles up from the subconscious, the particular memories that that client needs to see, to connect the dots, to understand why they created a belief about themselves, how that happened. And with that understanding, it's super powerful because then they can rewrite it and neutralize the emotional charge that they assigned, the meaning they assigned to that event in their life. And then we rewrite it. We instill new empowering beliefs and thoughts, how they wanted it to have been, how they wanted to feel. Because in an, in an alpha brainwave state, your mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. So you can rewrite it, right? Tell your brain something new that is more empowering and then we reinforce that with the transformation recording that I create for clients that they listen to every day as they're drifting off to sleep for 30 days, right? So that repetition is what builds new neural pathways in their brain and, and it creates long lasting change. So, you know, how you can hear a song on the radio from, from you know, your teenage years and you know all the words still right? Because it dropped into your long-term memory. So that's what this process is doing. It's helping dropping these new beliefs and and empowering habits and strategies for success into your long-term memory so that it creates long-term success, right? And so I combine my coaching with the Rapid Transformational Therapy or RTT into a program that I call Rapid Rewiring Over 90 Days. And it enables me to go deep with my clients to get like the big boulders out of the way, the really big blocks that have been holding them stuck in these patterns, sometimes for decades and rewrite them and move them out of the way. So then they can go on to have new ways of being and operating in the world from a place of greater joy and happiness and well-being. Yeah. You know, one of the things I hear in that is like immersion, because when you're seeking to go from conceptually understanding something to mastery, it takes immersion. So it's the repetitiveness of the process, which actually creates the opportunity for it to be an automated so that the response to that experience would be one, like that's just the automatic response now because you've, you've mastered that experience essentially. Like that no longer has a trigger for me because I'm complete with that. Right. Is, is, is what I hear. And I, and I you know, I've, I've I've done some work over the last year where I literally was in a world where everything is about immersion and a lot of it was about repetition. And I got to see where I was when I started, uh, when I was trying to figure out things to a place where it just happened automatically. The way I would operate was automatically. I didn't even have to, I just, you know, be in a position, in a place, there was particular actions which had to be done and my brain would do it for me because I was so used to that form of action. And the exciting thing about that, I think, is that if you can do it with a, you know, a physical exercise, you can, people do it with sport, you can do it with anything. It's just about getting that. The immersion is what creates the opportunity for something really new and transformative that you never thought was possible for you. Yes, absolutely. It is that repetition, right? Um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, Oh, the name just left me, but it's tipping uh, point. Yes, the tipping point, you know, that repetition of 10,000 times to create that level of mastery, like Michael Jordan or or Tiger Woods, for example. Um, and so we're we're used to seeing it in, in the sports world, right? But we don't think of our minds as that same tool, right? We all have access to that. It's just 
that repetition, that immersion that creates mastery and understanding in a new and different way. And they can work for you or can work for against you, right? If you if you've told yourself 10,000 times I'm not enough, then yes. guess what? You create a reality of I'm not enough. But if you if you flip the script, I am enough, I am enough, I am enough, and you tell yourself that enough, you put it on your mirror, right? You put it on your phone, you put it on little sticky notes all around your house, right? And you're con- constantly reminding yourself of, "Oh, of course I'm enough." Why would I ever think that I'm not enough? And it just at some point the flip the switch flips and it just becomes that new way of operating and moving through the world that creates a deeper level of authentic confidence yeah. and how you show up and how you be in the world. And people are like, Sam, did you do something different with your hair? You look really great. And they can't quite put their finger on it, but it's the energy that you're emanating that creates this powerful I'll have what he's having. I don't know what that is, but I really like some, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's my goal for my clients is always to help them get to that point where their their loved ones are like, you look different. I had one client, she's like her husband of 30 years, like, what did you do? You look taller. <laughs> yeah. It emanates through your face and your body and everything. Like your your just because it's all energy. So yeah, it, it, it can't is not all show energy. up in terms of, you know, every aspect of your being. <laughs> yeah, totally. uh, like it's, it's evoked and um, yeah. But I, what I really liked about what you were sharing there is, is getting people clear. Like you can almost, um, you can master the I'm not enough <laughs> dialogue, right? You, you, most of us already have mastered that. And yes. now it's just time to move to another level of mastery, a mastery that you actually want to have. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And just choosing it and choosing it and choosing it and choosing it every single day and every single moment, if you have to, to get to that new reality. I love what you said earlier. It was like, I'm just, I'm just going to step into a different reality. Right. And people might think, well, how do you do that? Well, you just, you just choose it. Right. Yeah. Remember chocolate vanilla, chocolate vanilla chews. Yes. Love that exercise. Like what? (laughs) I choose chocolate because it's my favorite. Nope. What do you mean? No. Well, I choose chocolate because it's tasty. Nope. <laughs> I choose I choose vanilla. Nope. <laughs> it's just yeah. because you're choosing it. Yeah, no, the, the power of choice is uh is is incredible because it allows you to be powerful whatever the circumstance. Whereas if the you know, if you don't if you feel trapped and like you have no choice, then you can't choose a situation. And that's gonna sound a little abstract, but it's you know. If you take on the idea, you might not believe it. If you take on the idea that you can be powerful in any circumstances or you can be responsible for your experience of any circumstance by choosing it, Mm -hmm. then that alters what it looks like somehow. You know, I don't know. Totally. Well, and and so like Nelson Mandela is a perfect example of that, right? He was in prison for how many years, but he chose to have a different reality. He chose not to let it imprison him in his mind. And, and that made all the difference for him to be able to come out of that prison and then ultimately go on to become president. Right. Because he didn't let him, def- it didn't, he didn't let it defeat him. Yeah. It, it became the power and the fuel for him. I always tell clients, your greatest source of pain is your greatest source of power and purpose. Right. So when you take that pain, that most painful thing that's happened to you and you turn it around and you're able to give it to others as a gift, 
that's extremely empowering. And it oftentimes becomes that purpose that you're here to fulfill on the planet. So Michelle, it's, it's been a pleasure both, you know, before we started recording, getting to know you, but also this conversation has been so rewarding. And what I'd love to know now is where can people go and find you? Sure. So um, you can come join me at michellemolitor.com, Michelle with one L, M-O-L-I-T-O-R.com. And you can, um, if you're curious about the work that I do, um, I'm happy to have a complimentary and confidential discovery call with folks. They can book an appointment there on my website with me. And we can see if now is the right time for you to do your own rapid rewiring and find a new way of seeing and moving through the world that brings greater joy and well-being um, to you and the rest of your life. You can have more of what you want and less of what you don't want. Beautiful. Yeah. I, you know, I love the combination of RTT with coaching and I love the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been a real joy um, talking with you. I could I could have these conversations all day, every day. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <super> fun. <laughs> I'm doing that more and more these days, but yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to listen. Your support really means the world to me. And without it, this podcast wouldn't exist. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and please share your biggest takeaways or what you want to hear discussed by going to thisyoumeinlife.com. And if you're ready to go beyond who you know yourself to be really, then go to thephilosophicalcoach.com. I can't wait to talk with you soon. <laughs>